0: Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Okay. How are you guys doing? Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. Easter is big enough as it is. Easter is awesome. But plus, this is my first day as your pastor. That's pretty exciting, right? Yeah. I'm excited. I hope you are too. But, um, for those of you who don't, don't, don't know me, that's okay. I don't know you either. We're going to get to know each other. Um, My name is Matt Wolf. My wife Melissa and our three-month-old daughter McKinley are here in the fourth row over here. I'm sure you'll get to meet all of us. Um, We just actually moved here from Nebraska. I've been a pastor of a church for the last five and a half years. Yeah, we got a woo for Nebraska. All (laughs) right. Yeah. huskers, right? Um, Yeah, but I, I actually grew up in Colorado Springs. And we lived here in the Denver area for a few years while I was at Denver Seminary. My wife grew up in Moab, Utah. So we are so glad to be here in Denver, to be a part of this church. And I'm going to tell you all sorts of other things about me. I'll get to know you. We can can talk and all that stuff. But today is about somebody else, right? Amen. Yeah. Today is about Jesus and the resurrection. So that's what we're talking about today. That's what we're talking about. Uh, a few years back, um, I was asked to go visit this woman in the hospital. She had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. She had um, some some brain tumors, and they were inoperable. She was in her 40s, and she had two daughters still in an her And this person who asked me to go visit her, I said, oh, okay, okay, that's fine, but she want me to come. She didn't. She wasn't a Christian. She didn't believe in God at all. Finally she relented after this friend bugged her and bugged her, please let my pastor come see you. And, and, and so I went to go see this woman. Her name was Cindy. And, and I remember talking with Cindy the first time. I, I shared with her the good news about Jesus, some of the things I'm going to tell you about today. She wasn't interested. A little bit later she got placed on hospice. She was she was home to die. They didn't know how long it would take or how long it would be. And I, I, I asked if she'd like me to visit her again and finally she relented and said, sure, you can come see me. So I went to see her again, and this time I shared about Jesus again, but I said, hey, if you want to know where you're going to be after you die, you've got to say this simple prayer. You know, and she wasn't interested. But I remember one thing she said, and I'll get back to her in a little bit, but I remember one thing that she said. We were sitting there; she was dying, leaving behind her two daughters. And on the TV, I remember this because it was the first time that the children in Syria had been gassed by their own leader. So we were watching on TV as this news report of children being killed in the worst way possible. She was there dying, and she said, "This there's got to be some place better than this." She didn't believe, but she knew in her soul that there had to be something more. This life isn't all there is. Death is the great enemy. Death death is the great equalizer too. you know, uh, everybody else in in some ways or another discriminates, but not death. Doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your race, your age, death comes for us all. Death is the great enemy that we cannot avoid, no matter how many scientific and technological advances we have, no matter how far we progress the the lifespan of a human being, death still comes. It's the great enemy of us all. Today, we're talking about the death of death. And that's a good thing. Dr. Ernest Becker was an anthropologist, and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He died at the age of 49, but before he did that, he wanted to study what all the cultures of the world, how humans view death. So he studied and studied, and in his book called The Denial of Death, which two months after he died, he received a Pulitzer Prize for it. He wrote this. The idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is a mainspring of human activity. Activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death. To overcome it by denying in some way that it is the final destiny of man. We do whatever we can to avoid it. I heard a story this week about a Russian uh, surgeon who, he was at the South Pole Station there and then the snow came in and they were isolated for a few months, he got appendicitis, And he knew he was going to die if he didn't operate, so he operated on himself. For two hours, cutting through muscle and fat and digging out the appendix himself. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want to die. Most of us, though, just don't even talk about it. We don't want to think about death. Unless we have to. We deny it. Susan Sontag declared that death is the obscene mystery, the ultimate affront, the thing that cannot be controlled, that can only be denied. I think that's what we do. We live most of our lives like death is never going to happen. But I'm going to tell you that there's a better way. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. There's a better way because in the resurrection, we celebrate the death of death. That there is something better for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And today, with defiant hope, we're going to face that great enemy. Because Jesus, in him, is the death of death. So I'm going to give you a big idea today. There's really going to be one point to my message. Some of you are going to fill in on your notes. It's going to be two parts. But just one idea, one sentence. It's going to be real simple. So we're going to start. We're going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 12 to 20. So if you have a Bible, if you brought one, if you have a smartphone, you can look at that. It's also going to be up here on the screen. So I just want it to be as easy as possible for you to read this along with me. So I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Is the Apostle Paul, and he says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay, what's going on? Paul is saying, in the first century, right after Jesus died, he's saying some people think nothing happens after you die. That you either just vaporize, and you go off into nothingness, or... Your spirit floats away. People believed all sorts of stuff in the first century, but almost no one believed in the resurrection. See, we think that now that we're in the 21st century, we have it all figured out, and we're more skeptical than people were in the past. C.S. Lewis called that chronological snobbery. We think we're smarter than people just because we came after them. It's not true. In fact, in the first century, N.T. Wright, uh, he studied this, he's a historian and theologian, and He took a look at it, and he studied all the different cultures. And none of the cultures believed in something that we call the resurrection. None of them believed it at all. None of them. The only people who believed it were one type of the groups of Jews. But there was a huge section of Jews, the greater group, called the Sadducees, that didn't believe in the resurrection at all. When you die, you die. That's it. So it wasn't like people were expecting the resurrection. In fact, the resurrection that we're going to talk about today, no one believed in. So it's not like uh, we're smarter than them. No, at nobody believed in the resurrection. So some of you who are doubters, some of you who are skeptical today, that's okay. That's okay. Starting at the same point that Paul is addressing here. But what's amazing, what's amazing here is that Paul is going to say that what happened to Jesus? We are celebrating today on Easter. If it didn't happen, then nothing that we believe as Christians matters. It's all wrong. Stupid. Just throw it out. That's what he's going to say here in verses 14 to 19. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he cannot raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, is meaning that they're dead, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see what he's saying there? This is the first half of the big idea. It's that without the resurrection, Christianity taught us. Everything that we believe, everything that I'm saying up here, everything we teach, this whole Bible, is worthless. Tacos. Okay, If you were going to set up a game of Jenga, I'm sure some of you have played that, okay? you're putting all these pieces on there and didn't have towers look really good. Okay, the resurrection is the one block that if you pulled it out, everything else would fall Right? The whole thing would topple. Without the resurrection, everything would fall. And and that's what he's saying here. He says, okay, preaching is worthless. I should just quit. Right? I should just go home. He he says, your faith is is useless. So you all should go home too. Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then does God really have power over death? Does he really have power for our lives? He, He says that the apostles would be false witnesses. He's saying that he who had witnessed Jesus after he rose from the dead and other people would be liars, deceivers. You shouldn't listen to anything they say. You should definitely not read the Bible. It says you're still in your sins. There's no forgiveness of sins if Jesus did not prove God's power by coming back from the dead. It says also that those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. There is no hope. We would be snuffed out like a candle. It'd be over. He says, if only for this life we have hope in verse 18, we are all people most to be pitied. Not laughed at, not scorned, not mocked, but pitied. How sad it is that Christians are wasting their life, suffering, being persecuted, going through all this hardship, if there is no resurrection. Without the resurrection, you pull out that block, all of Christianity topples. You weren't expecting that in the Easter message, were you? (laughs) It's okay. We have a second part of the idea. There is a big but in the next verse. I, I love in the Bible, there's a few different places where this but comes in and it chases everything. Verse <laughs> 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Okay? Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. You see, uh, we have this report, there's four different eyewitnesses. Or four different people who wrote about Jesus, and they interviewed eyewitnesses. Some of them were eyewitnesses, like Matthew and John. They wrote about Jesus. We have all these different accounts about who Jesus is. And he's this man. He said he came from God. And he was different than anybody else. He lived a life that, as far as anyone could see, was sinless. He was righteous. He was good. When everybody else struggles, yes, we all do. We all sin. But he didn't. And in fact, he went beyond that. He did more good than anyone has ever before since. He hung out with the people who were, uh, nobody wanted to be around, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the, the rich people he would go hang out with them to because everyone hated them because he would steal from the rest. Jesus went to the lost because he loved them. He helped them. He healed them. He served them. And he took this group of guys he eventually whittled down to 12 disciples. And he taught them. They were his personal followers. He taught everyone, but those 12 he took with him for three years to see all the amazing things he did, the miracles he performed. And then, after three years, people started to get angry because he was a revolutionary. Jesus did things that nobody else wanted. The Jewish leaders were upset because he was upsetting their religion. He was teaching things and teaching that they were wrong. He upset the Romans, too, because... He was claiming to be Messiah. That was going to upset the political system. So finally, one of Jesus' own 12 disciples that he had loved and spent years with washed his own feet. That man betrayed him. He sold him out. And they took Jesus. They arrested him. They beat him. You know, because that's what you do if you're arrested by the Romans. They flogged him. They stripped him. And then they took him Paraded him around the city and he wasn't strong enough at that point to carry the cross that they would nail him to so they had another man carry this cross up to the hill outside of the city where he was hung up on nails where he was nailed to the cross and where he gasped his last breath but the Romans weren't even satisfied with that one of the soldiers went up to him and took a spear to make sure he was dead and speared him in the side he was dead And then they took him down from the cross and instead of putting him in an unmarked grave, this man named Joseph of Arimathea volunteered, hey, you can use my tomb. So he took Jesus. And this is important, we have that because... We know where that tomb was. People in the first century knew where Joseph's tomb was. So they took Jesus there, they wrapped him in linen and put him there, but still the Romans weren't satisfied, so they set a whole troop of soldiers to guard this tomb. Then they rolled this huge heavy stone that took multiple men to move, and rolled it over the tomb. And you know what happened on Friday, the day Jesus was killed? Nothing happened. you know what happened on Saturday? Nothing. Nothing. The soldiers were there all day long. This was the Sabbath. So nobody worked. None of the Jews did. But the soldiers were there guarding the tomb. Nobody was there. But on the third day, Sunday, three women went to go visit Jesus. And when they got there, there the soldiers were. But the stone rolled away. And Jesus wasn't there. He was gone. And, and what happened after that? They not were like, really? where is she? They didn't know what was going on and they ran away. And then what's amazing is that Jesus came and he appeared to people. He showed himself to them and not as a spirit, as a human being with a body, with flesh and bones. And at first he appeared to Mary Magdalene and she didn't really recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. And so finally, he spoke to her and she recognized him and she even leaned on him. She grasped him because she knew that this was Jesus she loved a friend and then on top of that Jesus went on this road to Emmaus this town and there was two different disciples there and he talked to them and taught them this whole journey and then finally at the end they recognized oh that's Jesus you see they weren't expecting Jesus to come back from the dead nobody was that's the thing nobody believed in a resurrection like this nobody was anticipating it nobody expected it and yet it happened then Jesus appeared to all the disciples except one guy a named Thomas all the disciples saw him and were so excited. And they told Thomas and said, no, 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 no. I, I won't believe that. He was like a lot of us. said, no, I have to have tangible proof to believe that he is alive. I have to touch the holes in his hands and his feet, the, the gaping wound in his side in order to know that it's actually Jesus. And Jesus appeared finally a week later to Thomas. He said, hey, here I am. You can touch. And Thomas believed And and over a span of 40 days, Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. 500. Plus then later he appeared to Paul, this man who hated Christians and hated Christianity. And that's who's writing this letter that we have today. And that's why in verse 20, Paul can say boldly, but Christ has indeed been raised. The amazing thing is that historians look at this, and no historian worth their salt will deny that Jesus died. No one denies that the tomb was empty. Even the Jewish authorities and the Romans admitted that, yeah, the the tomb was empty. There was no body in there. And there's so many reported eyewitness accounts that people don't dismiss that either. You've got to come up with some explanation for how this happened. 500 people saw Jesus, ate with him, talked with him, went fishing with him. Over a span of 40 days. How does that make sense? One historian looking at this, he said that the historical probability of Jesus actually rising from the dead is so high as to be virtually certain. If you look at it just as a historian, it's like, well, there's no other way to analyze these facts. So that's why Paul says, okay, if if, if the resurrection didn't happen, if it's not there, Christianity, everything we believe, topples to the ground. It's worthless. But... Christ did raise. Him. He was alive. He was resurrected. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And that's where we get the second half of our big idea. Without the resurrection, Christianity topples. But with it, we too will rise. Let me, let me explain this. Let's look at the second half of verse 20. It says, The Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Falling asleep, of course, we mean that they Jesus was raised the first fruit of all who believe. What does that mean? It means that we too will rise. Uh, a few years ago in, in Nebraska, we decided to plant a garden because that's what you do in Nebraska. Everybody's got huge gardens. And we didn't really know what we were doing, so we just threw some seeds down. <laughs> you, know, we, we them, we do any, you know, we didn't mark them. We didn't do anything. We didn't mark We didn't mark and we just watered it, and, and all this stuff kind of grew up. There was probably some plants we like, is that an actual plant or is that a weed? What is that? And, and we didn't know what the plants were until they started producing fruit. We didn't. Oh, that's where the jalapenos are. Oh, yeah. That's when we finally figured out what these plants were. We were very mature at this. We got better, and now we don't have a garden. I guess that's how it goes. We we got better. But the first fruit is how you know what all the other fruit that come after it are going to be. It's the first thing. Oh, okay, now we know what the rest are going to be. It's not like, okay, now we've got this beautiful, green, sweet pepper, and now here comes a habanero that's going to burn your soul. Okay? And it's like, ah! No, it's not going to happen like that. It's not going to be an apricot tree, and then all of a sudden you pick a kiwi off of it. That doesn't happen doesn't happen. Okay, uh, another way to think about this is when you watch a cooking show. I know some of you guys probably love watching the Food Network. When you're watching these cooking shows, they're like, okay, you mix this, a, you know, a quarter cup of that, and then a dash of that. However much it dashes, you never know. They put all this stuff, mix it together, do everything that you're supposed to do, and they do it in like five minutes, and you couldn't do it in two hours. And then they take it, and they put it in the oven, and then what happens? Immediately, they pull it out of the oven. Oh, look what we got! Okay, that's what happens for us. We say, what's going to happen after I die? And boom, we can look. Jesus was the first one. He was the first one. He was the proof of concept. He's what we look to to know what's going to happen when we die, if we believe. That's why in Romans eight twenty nine it said that Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He was the first, and we look to him to know what's going to happen after. And that's why I can say, with, without the resurrection, Christianity topples, but with it we too will rise. We'll rise just like Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, this is a complicated thing, and most Christians even don't understand that. So if you're like a non-Christian here today, somebody invited you or dragged you here, or you don't believe, that's okay, because most Christians don't understand this. But what the Bible teaches is that when you die, if you're a believer, that immediately you will be with Jesus in a place called paradise. That's what he called it. We have hardly any details about paradise. We're not told much. But paradise is going to be pretty amazing. It's going to be awesome. But what we look to forward to as Christians is not what happens immediately after we die. But what happens at the end. We don't know when that's going to happen. But when it does, we will be exactly like Jesus was. We will have a new body. We're not going to be floating spirits. We're not going to be angels with wings. We are going to have a new body. And there's going to be a new earth that God creates that's perfect. And then heaven is going to come down onto earth, and that's where we're going to live and reside forever. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And what this means is our bodies, our new bodies, are going to be like Jesus' body right after he was resurrected. It says in Philippians 3.21 that Jesus will remake these wretched bodies of ours to resemble his own glorious body look forward to we too will rise like Jesus rose from the dead we'll be given a new body this is an amazing thing because some of you are young and spry and feeling good everything's good but once you get older you start getting some replacement parts some of you you know what I'm talking about yeah I just got my new knee last week You, you, you start getting diseases and your hearing fails and then your sight fails sometimes that happens when we're young and all those things make these bodies that we have fragile and frail and falling apart but what we look forward to is that we will rise just like Jesus did, with new bodies that are perfect. Johnny Erickson Tata is a woman, and when she was just 17 years old, she had a diving accident. Broke her spinal cord and became quadriplegic. And it took her a while. She was depressed. She struggled for years. But she said this about it. She said, I still can hardly believe it." I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness. Powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who has cerebral palsy, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible. We will rise like Jesus. That's what the resurrection, that's what Easter is about. So for those of you who are struggling right now with hearing loss, or blindness, or organ failure, or you've had to deal with people in your family that have had these things, heart failure, congenitive issues, whatever it is, we look forward to a time where there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more death. It says in Isaiah that death is swallowed up forever and started the resurrection. You know, I, I told you at the beginning about a um, terminal woman. I, just a few weeks ago, I was with a different Terminal woman um, in Nebraska and she was a Christian and I talked with her but she didn't really know what would happen when we die I think like a lot of us how does that all work and, you know it, if you come back I'll, I'll tell you more about all that stuff and, you know you can read your Bible there's a lot in it; it's good stuff um, but I was talking with her and she said you know when I get to heaven when I have this new body will I remember earth will I remember anybody this is that's a legitimate question. Will I remember? And I'm oh, of course you're going to remember. You're going to remember. It's like when, when I got my new smartphone, okay? When you get the new smartphone, okay, you discard the old one, right? Because it's trash and been everywhere and fallen and thrown and cracked and all that. Stuff, right? You get rid of it. But then all your data and all your contacts, it's in the new one, right? Okay? That, that's a pretty funny image, but it's going to be even better than that when we get our new body. It's going to be us. Our soul, our spirit, but we're going to be made perfect. <laughs> which is nice. And then we're going to have these new bodies that are perfect and will have them forever. It's amazing. So, you get to be with the people who have believed in Jesus, who have gone before you. The people that you miss. Your family members that died. <coughs> we're, we're going to be with the, the saints throughout all the ages who have believed in Jesus Christ. But more than that, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to rise with Him. To hang out with Him Forever. Death is scary. It is something we want to deny. Something we don't want to talk about. Shoot. No, no matter, even if you're a Christian, you're not scared of death. But what we need to know, and what we celebrate in the resurrection, is what it says in 2 Timothy 1.10. It says that Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life today through the gospel. has destroyed death. John Calvin, the theologian, said that in Jesus, torment is tormented, damnation damned, death, dead, and mortality made immortal. All that we fear now will be gone because of what happens in that first So we're going to have a boldness, we're going to have a boldness at the end, and we should as Christians, and that's what I really hope for you, that you will be challenged to have a courage to face even death with confidence, that we can be like Dwight Moody, the great evangelist. At the end of his life he said, one day soon you will hear that I am dead, do not believe it, I will then be alive as never before. Or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who plotted against Hitler in the Third Reich, and... When they took him, the guards took him to the gallows to hang him. He said, this is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of life. Or we'll be like H.S. Laird's father. He was a writer, and he asked his dad at the very end, how do you feel? And he said, son, I feel like a little boy on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Or like Richard Baxter when asked at the very end how he was feeling, he said, almost well. <laughs> Without the resurrection, Christianity just topples. It's nothing. It's worthless. It's futile. It's stupid. We should go home. But with it, we too arise. rise. <clears throat> so I did tell you at the beginning about that woman, Cindy, who didn't believe. And I was sitting with her. Uh, again sharing the good news with her, saying, all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in her and trust Him. And when you die, it won't be in the end. I told her the good news. I even told her, okay, I said, hey, this this is what you have to pray and in a second, I'm going to give you a little prayer that you can pray. Just say, if you want to believe, this is all you have to do. She wasn't ready. And I taught her that prayer because I was going to be gone for a week. I was out of the state and I was really concerned. Okay, She could Go any day now. I said, here's the prayer. This, this is all you have to do. You pray this, and, and God will take care of the rest. That's not like the prayer of you anyways. It's God saves. you. But, but I said that, and I just was praying and praying and praying. And, and when I got back from our trip, I had a voicemail. You've got to get over. Cindy's not doing well. And I thought, oh, no. Because it was a voicemail. I hope I didn't miss it. I, I hope that she had a chance to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. So I rushed over there. And when I got there, she was shaking violently. She was was in pain. She was worried. She was concerned. She couldn't contain herself. And I asked her, I said, Cindy, are you ready? She said, yeah, I'm ready. So I led her in this prayer. And immediately when we said amen, her body calmed down. She was a beast. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like this one moment to the next. She was at home, she was at peace. And when she died later that day, she was still at peace. Now, the next week when I shared this story at her funeral, a lot of people were surprised, you know. She didn't believe in Jesus, but I got to share this story and their eyes were open. This was the gossip of the town, you know. And it was amazing to see that. And what was even more amazing was that at the end of the message, I got to declare the words from the end of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read them to you. It says at the very end, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, gives us the victory for the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to declare that with boldness, knowing that she wasn't in the ground. She wasn't snuffed out forever. She wasn't in a worse place. She was with Savior in paradise, and one day she would have a new body, tumor free, cancer free. So if you're here today, and you already believe in Jesus, you say, I am a Christian, I follow Jesus, I want to learn from him. I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. I want you today to lead with confidence. Confidence in the face of death. Confidence in whatever life throws at you. Knowing that no matter what happens, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because you too will rise at the resurrection. Have confidence. But if you're here, if you're here today and and you're like Cindy and you're saying, Matt, I'm not ready. That's okay. I'm going to trust God with that. And I'm going to say, that's okay. Take your time. Think about it. Pray about it if you do that kind of thing. Talk with me, talk with the person who brought you or dragged you here. Get, get to know some things, read some of the Bible, I'll help you. Just let me know. Um, there's a card that at the end, Bill's going to explain that. We can get your information and I'll be more than happy to talk with you. I know anybody else here would as well. Take your time. Because I know that God is good. That you will send me the Savior before the end. He will do the same for you. But if you're here today and you're saying, Matt, I- I've been that person who's not ready, but now I think I am. My eyes have been opened, and maybe for the first time I believe, if that's you, today I want you to say the prayer that's in need prayer. I want you to ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, and to give you that, that life eternal forever. And I want to say a prayer in a minute. So wherever you are right now, I, I don't care, but I want you to know Jesus. I want you to get to the point where you believe in him, that you trust him and you say, I'm going to follow him. And if you're interested, if you want to know more, come back next week. Right? Come back next week. I'm going to start a new series through the book of Galatians, another book that Paul wrote. And I think we've got a slide for that. Um, that The series is going to be called 100% Pure, Organic, GMO-Free Good News. Because we've got to get the good news about Jesus right. And it changes everything. So that's what we're going to talk about starting next week. So you can come back. But if today that you're ready, I want you to sincerely say this prayer along with me. So what we're going to do is I want everybody to just close your eyes. I want you to bow down your head. Okay, this is about between us and God. And I'm going to lead this prayer. And if you've already said this prayer before, I want you to say it again with me. You know, there's no harm in saying it again. You're just going to help the person next to you who's not sure. Okay, so let's all say this prayer out loud. And if, you're, if you don't want to pray, of course don't say it. But let's all say this together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I confess I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Thank you for raising him to prove your power. From this day forward, forward, I will follow Jesus as my King. I accept the gift of your Holy Spirit to help me every day. With everybody's eyes still closed, with heads down, if, if that was the first time, um, can I just see your hand? that was the first time you've ever said a prayer like that and I said to Jesus Christ, awesome. Praise God. Well, at the end, I want you to just mark on the box on the card that that was your first time so that we can get together because now you have a new body that you can make for you. You don't have to be afraid of death. Death is dead. And for all of us, um, I'm just going to say a prayer for us Lord, um, just give us the confidence. A hope for the future. That we can face whatever is in front of us with confidence, with hope. I I pray that we would know deep down in our soul that death is dead. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that we too will rise with Him. Give us that confident hope to face everything that we are facing right now. For the person who's really struggling right now, give them that hope and lift up their spirit. For the person that isn't sure today, Help them to work through this with their mind. Let them be like Thomas and say, I need some more proof. I need to think about it a little bit more. The Lord, even work in their hearts so that they would know that your son Jesus did write to you. And he does offer forgiveness of sins because he proved how good he is coming back from the dead. And be with all of us as we finish today. Lord, thank you for Easter. Thank you for the resurrection. Amen. Amen.